I think by far that the biggest thing is is to really really increase your your knowledge base in in absolutely every aspect of the sport. The Triathlon Show 130. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, I am still suffering from a bit of allergies or a cold, I don't know quite what, but uh, yeah, my voice is still not recovered, so apologies for that. In addition, I am currently at a training camp that I host in the Algarve. We're having a ton of fun, fantastic cycling, but uh, I don't have quite my usual podcasting setup. So if there are any issues with the audio here in the intro and outro, then uh, that may be the reason. But it should all be good and the interview was done at my usual setup. My guest today is David Nichols from the United Kingdom, but he lives in Moscow and he qualified for the Ironman World Championships in, uh, or the, of this year in the Ironman South Africa race earlier this winter. And we will discuss that, how he did that, and in particular how he got very precise, he got the details right, he did a lot of research, he listened to this podcast uh, for one thing, and he applied these things, and that made a massive difference to how he performed, and he managed to get the most out of his training. He was time crunched, he didn't train as much as uh, you would probably expect an age grouper in that age group category trained to qualify for Kona. But he really, really got the most of his time investment and that is the topic of today's interview. You will learn all about that and get uh, the most important things that David learned, what were the major drivers of his success in today's interview. But first, big thank you to our sponsors Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration make electrolyte products that uh, keep you from losing too much electrolytes, sodium, potassium and otherwise when you go out and you train long, you train hard, you train in the heat. Electrolytes are a big important part of the puzzle of endurance performance and you need to get it right if you want to qualify for Kona but even if you want to maybe complete your first Ironman not being paying attention to things like nutrition to electrolytes that will derail your performance and put you at severe risk of not finishing your event so go and check out Precision Hydration on precisionhydration.com and you can get your first box of Precision Hydration Electrolyte for free when you use the discount code Show, all one word at checkout. And again, that's precisionhydration.com. All right, now let's go right into the interview with David Nichols and this age group case study on qualifying for Kona. All right, so today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, David Nichols. This is another age group case study. So David, very welcome to the show. It's great that we finally get to talk. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your triathlon background. Yeah, sure. So I'm a 30-year-old British guy actually living in Moscow, Russia for the last four years. I live with my wife and a one-year-old child here. 
Uh, in terms of triathlon background, I first triathlon was actually at university over, well over 10 years ago. I did Ironman Nice um, after basically getting a bit bored of rowing that I was doing for a few years before that. Um, but that was pretty chilled, you know, it was a, a sort of 11.50, um, very relaxed, very enjoyable race. But then unfortunately after that, I joined the, the sort of finance world and worked 60, 80 hour weeks for a few a few years. And, and only recently have I, have I had a bit more free time and decided to come back to it. And then over the last few years, decided to have a crack at Kona. And so that's what you've done. You just qualified for Kona at Ironman South Africa. So uh, what, when did you decide to give Kona a crack and try to qualify? Yeah, sure. So it was it was really over the last. I've had the feeling for the last couple of years that probably I would 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 be able to give it a go because I've I've done a few sort of local triathlons and things with not much consistent training and managed to achieve like top twenty results or something. And the same with ultra marathons and other sort of racing I've done. So I've had the feeling that I probably would be able to get there. And and so as I when I found out I was going to have my first child, I decided that would probably be. That was probably a pretty good incentive to actually get it done sooner rather than later. Um, so yeah, I set myself uh, in 2017. I had some intermediate targets, which was a sub 4:30 half Ironman and a three-hour marathon, and I did did both of those basically. So I then decided to, to yeah, I, I picked pick the race that I thought would suit me best and suit my timing, and and, and went for it really hard from. Uh, I guess December, December last year. And in those uh, years before, when you were training not consistently but still doing some racing, how exactly did you train? Do you have any idea what your average weekly or monthly training volume would be? Yeah, it's it's, it's really volatile. I think I was like any standard, like middle of the pack slash back of front of the pack age group, where you basically just train based on how much free time you have and, and what what your social plans are. So maybe in the winter, I'd be doing. <laughs> eight to ten hours a week at best but then in the summer it would go down due to sort of holidays and traveling and things so so very very patchy and and usually sort of um two months leading up to a a, a big race say but obviously they weren't that important for me but but yeah i'd do a bit more and then i'd completely re- do nothing for a couple almost nothing for a couple of months that sort of that sort of thing yeah that, that sounds very very typical <laughs> but but in 2017 then you got the consistency uh when when exactly did you get consistent and and how did your training then change yeah sure so i mean it it, it was a slow process right so for the, the first the first my first goal was this half iron man um that, that i wanted i wanted to get a good time to show i was sort of on track for kona and that was that was sort of the start of getting this consistency, but that the volume was still relatively low. So I was, it was, yeah, sort of maximum ten hours a week, I think, because I, 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 yeah, had a, a young child. Um, uh, but then, then it really, really kicked off in in December, and from December until April, I was doing uh, well. I averaged sixteen hours a week, um, but thanks to a few sort of twenty, twenty-two hour weeks, when actually when my wife was away, all my parents could come and help help look after the, the baby. Yeah, but that, that's still not for qualifying for Kona. Uh, it's uh, something that sounds within the realm of possibility for a lot of people that that have that dream. So, so that uh, I think can give people some hope that you don't need to do consistent twenty-five hour weeks to qualify for Kona. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think I think the one one of my main learning points from it was it, it's actually a lot more though than that, those just those training hours, right? It's the core, it's the stretching, it's the uh, making sure nutrition's absolutely on point. It's making sure you sleep enough. It's the obsessing about your bike and stuff like that. And, and that does take a bit of time as well. So I think and that 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 was my one of my biggest surprises that actually it, it it's a lot more than that. But but I absolutely agree that it's it's 
it's doable for most people. I, I think it's just a question of, of how much you can can commit over over what time, depending on your fitness. So, so when you were doing this training, you you had a, a young child, a young son, and you also you're working in finance still. But how much are you working? So, kind of give us an idea of what your what a typical day in the middle of the week might look like for you. Yeah, sure. So um, it was. I mean, always early starts, obviously, and luckily my son helped that because he tended to wake up quite early. So I, yeah, always at least one training session before work. Um, sometimes two, say so on on a, my Thursdays, for example, would be a, a, an early swim, starting at starting at seven, and then I swim with a masters group till eight thirty. Then I I put on my running shoes and, and straight away do a forty minute to an hour run. Uh, then go straight to work, get back from work at about seven. Um, then yeah have an hour with my with my kid eating and uh and doing a bath and stuff and then i do maybe an hour and a half bike that would be a i guess a standard standard thursday for me i guess you probably or i know because i read your race report from south africa you did a lot of bike training on the on the indoor trainer yeah i, well, I live in moscow so it wasn't it yeah. wasn't really an option to, to train outside but actually i think even even without that i would have done all my training on the on the indoor trainer i think it's it's just spectacularly effective particularly as I, I did the trainer road um program pretty religiously and it, it just unbelievably effective i've done it actually over the last year and a half i followed some sort of trainer road, road program and just the, the gains i've seen were absolutely incredible um especially compared to my friends who were doing a lot of riding but but not in not as much in a structured way so i yeah i, I think that was a really key key part of my um my success And, and especially as indoors, you can work on the aero position, which again is something I see that my that my peers don't don't quite have as as sort of as 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 well as I do because they do a lot of riding outside, where it's, it's hard to stay really aero for a consistent amount of time. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's really good, and that structure that you get the the return on on time invested is so much higher when you have the structure and trainer road. Uh, you probably know because you listen to the podcast that i'm also myself a very very big fan of trainer road and a lot of the athletes that i coach are on it and although i must say that these days i do most of my training outdoors because it's just so fantastic here in portugal and having a bit more flexibility that but that's where i'm right now but i still am a very strong believer in how great that uh that software is for getting getting quality training done yeah What about uh, the structure of your training? If we uh, talk about the swim and the run, starting with the swim, maybe you mentioned masters classes. Can you go a little bit into detail on that? Yeah, sure. So I, I think this is it's another. It's a good good way to see how you approach the whole like Kona qualifying versus just doing triathlons, right? I've always been a decent swimmer. I think my PB before was one hundred five and three and then thirty one minutes and a half. So that that's that's a decent swimmer. But I realized there were two things that I needed to swim much more consistently and improve my technique. So I think probably the biggest gains come, came from getting the, the best swim coach I could possibly find and having maybe one lesson with him every two weeks where it was only 45 minutes, but he'd give me one thing that I need to focus on over the next two weeks of swimming and then just really, really focusing on that. And that that completely changed my stroke, I think. And then, yeah, apart from that, as I said, yeah, I did a master's group, which was just just for me the only way to, to do you know, 4K swim sessions with, with some real, real quality intensity because obviously when you're racing other people, you can push yourself so much harder. Like I found consistently when I went to the pool on my own, my, my 
my sessions would be shorter, less quality, or with longer breaks and things. So yeah, couldn't emphasize the master the value of the master's program enough. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely spot on there. With uh, you, you find an extra gear in you that you didn't know you have in the pool. It's so difficult, even though you think you may be pushing yourself to the max when you're on your own. It, it it's not quite the max that you can achieve when you're with others. And yeah, with, 100%, with, yeah. with a coach, uh, can you give uh, give us uh, a couple of? This is obviously very personal, individual for you, but just to give somebody an idea what you might get out of having a swim coach to give you individual tips. What were like the main uh, couple or two or three changes that you made to your stroke after getting the tips from the coach? Yeah, sure. So um, I think absolutely the main one is 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 sort of. Uh... I guess it's it's kind of catch combined with with how you move your arms through the water and what we focused a lot on, which I, I found definitely the most helpful thing. I think is um, we had sw- we used swim bands for at least ten minutes before every well before every coach session, and then I use them. I guess before every session I do, I do at least ten minutes of uh, swim band work, which I, I guess you know what I'm talking about. It's basically elastic elastic that has some sort of paddle attached to it, and that and that helps you really isolate that sort of. Um, early vertical forearm, I guess you could call it, but that's a bit controversial. But then, so, so you're actually pushing water back rather than down. And I think that was by far the biggest, the biggest change I had, that feeling of just being able to push the water straight back because you get the elbow down and then push back. And that, and that was also massively aided by using a snorkel because then I could actually see what my hands were doing much better. And, and that, was, that was when I noticed myself going drastically faster in the water mm, brilliant how do you structure that uh, that band work before is it is it all about just uh, figuring out the exact movement pattern or do you also do it to to get to muscular endurance to work with quite some resistance or or how, how does that work yeah so so b- b- before swim sessions it would typically be to sort of really isolate that movement pattern so i start to do well i, I guess i've built it up over time but when i when i was starting i was doing maybe uh, two times 20 of each side of just moving the um, sort of the forearm down to that 90 degree position. And then, and then when you've done that, you, you, you continue that to move, move your arm all the way back. Um, but then obviously sometimes, and my coach would have rather I did it more when I was not swimming um, on days I wasn't swimming, I just used a swim band and do some much harder work. And I felt that was also, yeah, very useful because it is very swim specific muscles that I was building. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I use them myself as well. I don't do it before uh, swim workouts. We we have another warm up routine, but I'm also a big fan of of them. And uh, especially like for for athletes that that have a big travel coming up, for example, I I usually tell them to hey get these uh, fini stretch cords for like thirty euros on Amazon, and and then you can maintain quite a lot of yep. what you would otherwise lose if you if you were just out of the pool for two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what about the run then? How did you structure that? Yeah, the run. So I, I think that my, my, my focus on running was was two things. It was really the, the biomechanical part. And it's and, and I mean, as you know better than anyone, right? It's 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 not technique, but it's it's making sure you have the right sort of core muscle strength to actually run run properly and efficiently. Um, and I I'd self diagnosed that I had actually well like every, everyone that sits in a, an office chair for what, eight, ten hours a day, I had very weak, very weak core, glute me, glute max. And so a lot of my work was focused on focused on strengthening those and then doing a lot of drills. So after at least three runs a week, I would do a, maybe five, 10 minutes of drills. So strides and, and sort of typical running drills. And I, I felt that really, that really helped my, my run and, and just looking at race pitches compared to race pitches before you can see that my, my sort of whole body is straight rather than sort of crooked to one side, like it used to be. So that, that clearly helped. And I didn't, I wasn't injured at all. Um, and, and yeah, sorry. The other the other thing that I, I focused on was just really, really high frequency of running. I think it's, 
you know, if any readers of Slow Twitch, it's called the Barry P program, which is, is very popular. The idea being that it's rather than doing a huge amount of intensity, that the idea is just to first run as, as often as you can to build up that sort of resilience in your legs. And only when you're feeling really like, like you've got that then to add some intensity, but definitely the very large majority of my runs were at easy pace and easy pace checked with running calculator. So as an example, I, I do a three hour marathon and I was doing five minute uh, kilometers. Yeah, no, that sounds exactly right. Uh, and I'm very, I was going to say that I'm, I was very impressed when I read that in your report as well about the doing the drills three to four times per week after after your runs. That's something that it, it shows the deca- dedication to detail and attention to detail that you had throughout this process that you already mentioned a bit with the bike setup and all these uh, other things, core strength and uh, and that can it kind of it comes comes down to the fact that you need to establish what are your main limiters and what's the lo- low hanging fruit for you where can you get the most return on investment for your time spent and if you could do 10 minutes to improve your running form and make sure that you could maintain that for the duration of an ironman marathon then that would be um, probably a much better return on investment rather than doing 10 minutes of additional normal running compared to at the style that you were used to running and maybe not focusing as much on on form and and letting it letting it slip as you got more tired is that uh what would you say that's a correct assessment of how you were thinking Uh, absolutely 100 percent, yeah and and i really felt it did actually benefit good and uh so what about the running uh volume how how much volume did you get up to yeah i think i think my it it wasn't absolutely enormous volume um it was i think my biggest week was uh was just over 60k so that's that's not huge volume at all in fact for ironman um racing but my yeah biggest constraint was i I guess time and yeah yeah that was that was a big yeah and and you also you had a a nice chart in in the race report again uh referring to that time and time again that you even though you're your pace faded towards the end of the South Africa Ironman marathon. You still faded much less and had much better splits in the last 10k compared to the other top age groupers in your age group. So, so that definitely is uh, proof in the pudding that you you did something right on the run there to be able. Well, to... I think yeah, that, that combined with being a strong cyclist and as well as a decent weights program, I think, and that that's it's so key. I think. The, yeah, maybe just very quickly on weights. I think the, the cleverest thing I've heard is that what, why do you slow down in an Ironman marathon? You slow down because your muscles are just tired, right? You don't have the strength to go faster. And so I really, really believe that weights is is incredibly important. And I actually wish I, I mean, with, with hindsight, I would have done more. And actually with my Kona build, I'm, or in fact, I'm already starting to do a, a really high quality weights program from now. Because I think it's, it's super important and it's something that people don't do enough. How, how much uh, did you do and, uh, and what are you planning to do now? Or let's say, what's the structure of it? Uh, is it um, what would a workout look like in the gym? Sure. So I, I, I followed the, um, the, the Joe Friel basically approach for my, in my uh, base phase, which was two times a week with high, um, very high weight, uh, like, like you discussed really. So yeah, high, yeah. high weight, low reps. Um, four or five exercise, not not varying that much between sessions, actually. Um, yeah, and just just gradually pushing up the weight a bit. But however, what I regret is that when I started entering my my build phase, I I, I basically stopped weight training just due to lack of time. Um, and I 
listening to your podcast and also thinking about it, I, I definitely will keep that up throughout the uh, throughout the build phase next time. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I'm in kind of that phase myself now, and I try to maintain at least every ten days do one weight session. It doesn't have to be as as big as they were when I was building strength, but to maintain at least every ten days, ideally every seven days, yep. do something and maybe reduce to two sets instead of three. And you might not need to go to uh, to quite the same. You can can do eighty percent of one rep max instead of 85 but getting close and then you won't be as sore but you will maintain the strength that you build so so that's uh yeah an important uh observation that you that you did there and and regarding that that your muscles are what uh what gives up on you and not your heart and lungs yeah i absolutely agree 100 percent. and i know that you also for the nutrition side of things you followed the jesse kropel nikki protocols a lot and one thing that he talks about is uh is how hiking is uh, fantastic for Ironman training because just being on your feet for a long, 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 long time, and and that is fantastic for the for the Ironman marathon in the end. Yeah, yeah, probably. So so let let's let's talk a li- little bit about your your nutrition because that's one of the things that you mentioned as uh, as key. So what uh, what did it look like before and what did it change when you got serious about qualifying? Yeah, sure. So I think I think it, I, I'm again quite typical of a sort of middle of the pack guy. Whereas I I felt that I ate, I ate quite healthily before because in the fact that I didn't have much junk food, I don't I haven't drunk at all for four or five years. So I, I, but actually looking back on it, it was a lot of white carbs, it was a lot of pasta, and relatively little fruit or veg, right? And I think again, like most people, I just couldn't really conceptualize how you could eat enough while not just eating pasta basically or rice so the the, the real game changer for me was firstly listening to your jesse kropenlicki podcast and reading his book um which sort of goes into the goes into how important it is but then secondly and and this is a really thing i'd really emphasize to everyone is is go on youtube and google uh like a swimmer's diet or um yeah a a day in the life of the olympic swimmer and and you'll see that it's uh you know you can see what what olympic athletes eat and it it is really high quality food. It's so much food and veg, it's eggs, it's, you know, uh, lentils and stuff like that. And, and actually they, they do get by with burning, you know, th- thousands and thousands of calories a day with, with relatively little pasta and things. And, and, and so that's, that's basically then what I, I followed since, since December, pretty, pretty religiously actually. Um, and, and I, I really believe it helped because I was amazed how much training I could do and how much training stress I could take without, really feeling too bad actually um apart from maybe you know my really big weeks i i I was just you know on the turbo in amazement looking at the numbers i could push out after say like the tuesday of a vo2 max session after a really hard weekend and i really believe it's due to this well it can only be really due to this nutrition um change because i've always slept quite well so that's it's it's a super important thing Uh, yeah that's fantastic to hear how how big a change that made or how big an impact it it clearly clearly did for you what about your, your race nutrition and, and how did you approach that and how did you approach it in training? Yeah, sure. So that, that was the other big takeaway from this Krupp and Licky podcast that, that, again, changed my, my life. And, and actually nutrition, looking back at racing I've done, has been by far the biggest limiter for me in, in, in basically all, all races, in fact. Um, I think maybe I'm not blessed with, with good genes or, or just haven't really thought through it. So I, I yeah, I, I got my Excel spreadsheet out, right? I used to use the ratios that... I mean, the, the Jesse Kropenlicki book and endurance cookbook is, is just super, super specific on how many carbs per hour you should take and how many grams of salt and things. And, and, and so I, I yeah, I, I got my Excel sheet, worked out how many I should have. And then in training, I, I, for all my long rides, I did 
I did that or even above that to train my body to to, to take in the right amount of um, to make sure I could take in the right amount of, of, of carbs. And actually, it's, it, it, it clearly worked because, um, yeah, I, I, I was having 100 grams of carbs on the on the bike, which is, is quite a lot. Right. It's more than more than you potentially would uh, would would hear recommended. And the reason due to that is because I trained every single long ride I did. I was making sure I had exactly my race nutrition. Um, and, and, and sorry, the, the did, 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 how, how many uh, workouts or like what workouts did you practice your race nutrition in? Did you do, because I, Jesse said when I interviewed him, which was the one thing that I think is a bit weird. He said in every single workout. So I, I understood that to mean even just the easy one hour workouts. And, and that's the one thing that potentially personally I, I would not necessarily agree with. But did you do that or did you choose the longer and harder workouts or how did you approach it? Yeah, so I I, I think broadly yes, every single workout. I think the the ones the ones I I wouldn't do it for would be the uh, the early morning runs uh, where I was specifically doing it in a fasted state, particularly in the base phase because I really think there's a lot of uh, a lot of benefit from that in itself. Um, but 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 for the bike, I I'd always have a liter of sports drink, for example, during during even an hour hour bike, and partly because I was doing it inside, so I was sweating a lot. But but also I I, I really wanted to make sure that I was. I was sort of training, training my gut. Um, going forward, maybe I wouldn't need to need to be quite so aggressive in terms of eating all those gels and bar uh, gels and drink a, a week because obviously it's not very good for your teeth or your body. But I think I'm really I'm glad that I did it to the extent that I it's the first race I've ever done where I felt that you know every gram of fitness I had was fully expressed because my nutrition was was so on point. Yeah, and and on the other hand, even if it's a shorter slightly easier workout or not necessarily a super long and taxing one potentially that's what helped you have such a great nutrition in the rest of your life that you uh, that, that you weren't under fueled and entering athletic starvation as it as it's sometimes called because you didn't fuel in your workouts you were already ready after the workout with some energy in your body you did never really ran out of of, of all your glycogen so so that's maybe could have helped with keeping the overall quality of your nutrition really high I'm just speculating here yeah. but but that no i know I, I actually 100 think that's the case in fact i I've, i found that yeah whenever i didn't fuel properly during a workout you uh yeah all throughout the day you're really hungry and you just you're desperate to have those yeah simple sugars right so i know i i, I definitely think that is the case yeah was there anything in uh, in the race itself that you had as a race strategy or race tactic or something you did that uh, that was successful that you think that helped you qualify? I, I I don't think so really. I think I think most what <laughs> once you've got to the race, it's just about ex- executing exactly what your what, what your numbers are right, and you race your numbers and don't get too excited. Um, if if it helps, yeah. My my watts for my bike, I was. I was, the, the target was around 215 watts, but I was very, very sure that I wasn't going to spike over uh, 270 watts in any in any situation. Um, and I think that's something that you see a lot of athletes do is when there's hills, you just you go well above your FTP, and that ends up. Uh, I mean, you're, you're burning too many matches, right? Uh, What percentage of your FTP did you so have as your target? Around around 65 or 60, 66, and and that's that's quite conservative. Um, you know, you, you see in yeah sort for, of, for an advanced for an advanced athlete, that's very conservative. I, I would say. Yeah, you, you see 75 and things, but I think partly my FTP was slightly inflated. I, you know, um, I I just got too good at doing FTP FTP tests, right? And, and 
I could just absolutely kill myself for, for 20 minutes. And I, I don't think 95% of that was, was reflective of what my, my true sort of uh, hour power would be. Um, and, then, and then secondly, yeah, I was, I was going to make, I, I wanted to get a certain time rather than podium, right? And so if I was, if I was trying to podium, I probably, probably would have pushed it a bit more and just rolled the dice. But, but because luckily I chose a championship race where there were, well, actually there were nine slots on offer. I, I knew that I had to get around um, 9.25. And, and so that's, I was going for sort of no, no much more than that, basically. So a relatively conservative approach. How did you approach uh, pacing on the run? Uh, yeah, I, absolutely major thing is just not go out too hard, right? Just screaming at myself for the first 10K is don't run too hard, don't run too hard. Because it, it, it feels so, so easy. And especially as you're not even running your marathon pace, right? You're running your Ironman marathon pace. So um, yeah, just just looking at the watch as much as I could and, and just just always, always holding myself back. Um, and yeah, as, as, as you mentioned earlier, I think that, that, that really worked because in the last K in the last 10 K I was, uh, put a lot of time into my competitors and, and everyone around me. So I think that, that, that seemed to have paid off. So you ended up finishing with, uh, if you can give us the splits and, uh, and the overall time and your position in your age group that made you qualify. Yeah, sure. So I was, uh, I was nine twenty eight overall, um, overall and, um, Oh, sorry, nine twenty-six. What am I talking about? Uh, but my, my my swim was fifty-seven minutes, which was uh, much much more impressive than I expected. Uh, my bike was five oh six, whereas my plan was five hours, and then my uh, my run was three eighteen. And uh, so, for age groupers that are they have as a dream to or a goal to qualify for Kona, what tips would you give them? What advice? What what made the biggest differences for you that you also think could benefit other listeners if they want to go the same route? Yeah, sure. So I think I think by far that the biggest thing is is to really really increase your your knowledge base in in absolutely every aspect of the sport, right? And it's it's such a multifaceted sport. You have to think about nutrition, about biomechanics, about core strength, about bike aerodynamics, about bike position, and, and there's just so many aspects of the sport and. And I think this especially applies to people that people that are coached because I have I have quite a lot of friends that are the coach and they they tend to just um, just assume that because they're coached their coach will get them to Kona but but really the, the training is is quite a small part of it and especially the, the training prescription is all about execution of training right and so I think you really need to understand every single aspect and how they interact so you can really make sure that you're doing every every single thing possible. Um, and then, and then the, the second, second sort of stage of that is to really ap- apply that knowledge and be self-critical. So every week I'd, I'd look back at, at my training and my, my week and really say, right, what, what could I have done better t- this week? You know, did I really do my three times 15 minutes of quality core work? Did I, was that long bike really in a proper aero position with my shoulders tucked to my head, my head really nice and low? Um, did I, did I do the proper amount of salt in my race nutrition training and stuff like that? And, and, and it's that, that sort of really analytical approach that, that seems to have really worked, worked for me. And I think the, probably the reason why I managed to, to qualify in relatively little training. 
yeah, I love that self-reflection piece there, looking back at what you've done and what you could have done better. That's uh, definitely uh, a great, fantastic way to to keep uh, having that compound effect for you being in fi- in finance to to keep improving and uh, and adding and adding and adding on top of what you're already doing and and accelerating that improvement even though you're getting more more advanced potentially. So so that's uh, that's brilliant brilliant advice. Uh, what about uh, time management uh how how did you manage all of all of that and fitting it in with a family and work yeah i think that's the the, go, the golden question right and the, the easy answers are things like you train in the morning or you do your training on the turbo but i think it's it's good to be honest right and, and not sugarcoat it. it's it's really brutal the, the especially the like the two months before i man to do to do these 16 to 20 hour weeks uh and all the other stuff while with the family and so really the the main sort of advice or, or reason I think I was successful in managing to do this training is just be really honest with both myself and my family quite how much it would it would require right and like and and but at the same time how much I wanted it and how much I, I would need to do in order to achieve this success and so I, um and 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 sort of related to that is this idea of for me, the idea of periodization is the fact that the closer you get to the race, the more serious you come and the more hours you do and so uh, the fact that my my family understood that and understood that those t- those two months particularly would be incredibly intense and I, I would have to be increasingly selfish in terms of what I eat when I slept how much training I when I trained and things and but but after the race that would completely reverse and that I'd be you know 100 percent at their at their mercy in, in all ways and that's yeah that that's that's how I got through it I think uh, combined with a very understanding family of course. Brilliant. Uh, so for Kona now, are you back in training now and starting to build towards Kona? I, I am, yeah. But I've, yeah, I've, I promised the wife that it's not going to be a big one. You know, I was never, I'm never, was never going to be anywhere near podium in Kona. You know, I was, I was ninth out of, out of nine slots for my age group, and people beat me by thirty minutes. So for Kona, the plan is just to maintain fitness, um, do a bit more strength and conditioning, do some, some sort of heat acclimation type stuff, and go and just really enjoy it think it's, okay, it was yeah. so, an intense so, amount of work to get get here so yeah will the heat acclimation and changing the strength training do a bit more of that will those be the changes that you uh, that you make or additions to what you already done maybe training less as you said but the the things that you want to improve if we compare the south africa build to the build that you'll have have for kona yeah. will will yeah. those be uh, that too Absolutely, yeah. I think I'll, I'll move the swim training a bit much, a bit more to focus on the on the sort of the core and the body position because obviously it's a non-wet suit swim, and my my pool times are ten seconds slower than my uh, wetsuit open water time. So it's it's clear that I have a lot of work to do there. But apart from that, yeah, it's it's definitely weights and heat uh, acclimation. Okay. So uh, I think that's about it before we move into the rapid fire questions, unless you have something that you can think of that uh, we should talk about still. Uh, and maybe maybe any, any tips that you have for age groupers in general, whether it's Kona qualifiers or not, uh, if you have something, then feel free to chime in with that. Um, I, th- I, think, I think one of the things I actually I wanted to mention that I, I found most interesting was that, uh, and this is Jesse Kropenlicki also mentioned this, but if, if you look at um, some of the sports nutrition projects, pr- products, there's just nowhere near enough salt for for what the normal body needs um and so and so you might think you're having the right amount of gels and so that's okay but it, it's really it's really not um and so that that's the thing i think that I, I changed and probably the biggest change to my nutrition um and and one of the biggest reasons for my success accordingly is that i, I significantly increased the amount of salt in because i was using gels that didn't have enough in 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, as you know, Precision Hydration is the sponsor of, of this podcast. So so there people can go and take a free online sweat test and, and learn how much they really need whatever product they end up using that gives them a ballpark number for for how, how much uh, sodium you should take in in your, in your training and racing. So uh, that's a good, good resource to look at. Okay, so rapid fire questions. You know how this works. Uh, what's your favorite book, blog or resource related to triathlon? Yeah, sure. So it's all podcasts, I think. I mean, this this one is probably my 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 favorite one, or definitely the one that's that taught me the most. But also, um, Trainer Road, of course, Tower Twenty Six, and and finally the, the Kona Edge, because I think it's also helpful to hear um, age groupers being interviewed and hear what they've done, because obviously it, it's it's really nice to hear it from people that are in your position. Great, and thank you very much. Uh, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Uh, power meter and computer with Trainer Road, I think. And what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Uh, curiosity combined with the ability to, to be very self-critical. Oh, yeah, it shows. And uh, that's something that I, I really admire. And I also, it, it was several times when I was reading your race report, I, I just had to, had to pause and think, hey, this, this is a really, really excellent approach to, to everything. So, so, David, I want to congratulate you. Uh, it's uh, really amazing that uh, on, on a relatively small amount of training for Kona qualifiers that you managed to do that, and especially not... R- only considering your build but actually the fact that up until a couple of years ago you were very inconsistent and don't have the big base so it takes a lot then to go and and suddenly uh, be consistent and qualify for Kona through that so so that's uh, a fantastic achievement and uh, worth congratulating. Ah, thank you very much. All right, uh, so uh, that's uh, about it for this interview, and uh, we'll definitely have more age group case studies in the future because I got a lot of great feedback from the first ones that we've had. So this one was more about Kona qualifying. Definitely send me emails to michael at scientifictriathlon.com with uh, suggestions for what kind of profiles you want. And if you yourself want to be interviewed, then you can also let me know about that. It doesn't matter if you're a complete beginner or a super advanced age grouper, everything is welcome because we all are at different levels at different times. So yeah, get in touch if you want to be on the show. All right, there you have it. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. I definitely enjoyed talking to David and learning about what made him successful, what changes he made, what the big drivers for his success were. Because I think that uh, many of the things that he mentioned, they apply to so many other age groupers as well. So for me as a coach, for example, it is really helpful to learn about these things, what changes David needed to make and what changes were the most important to make in order to make the next steps of improvement and to be able to qualify for Kona the way he did on quite a small amount of training, as I said, compared to to most age groupers in that category qualifying. It is very impressive and I want to congratulate David once again and thank you, David, for coming on and sharing your story. I really, really think this will be a hit and uh, yeah, it's uh, super helpful for other age groupers to hear whether they want to qualify for Kona or not. Many of the things we talked about are things that uh, they will be able to apply and improve as triathletes as a consequence. So big thanks to, to David for that. 
In the next episode of That Triathlon Show, I will interview Ryan Cooper, who is the founder of Best Bike Split. And we will talk about bike pacing, optimal bike pacing. How do you pace your hills, for example, in a race? How much should you increase your power, if at all? How variable can your power profile be or your effort in general if you don't use power meters how should you handle winds how should you think about all sorts of things that relate to pacing and getting the most out of your bike split at the same time allowing you to perform a successful run after that so we'll get into some specific numbers and stuff and it is all really really good and useful information especially now that race season is here so this will be a useful one definitely listen to that and since i'm here in the algarve on uh, my training camp I haven't really promoted my last few episodes because I've been busy coaching and uh, and training myself. So uh, so the the last episodes that I did with uh, Professor Paul Larson on intral training, they are absolutely amazing in my opinion. One of the most interesting interviews that uh, I've done. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, the episodes are amazing, but uh, Paul's knowledge is amazing. So and uh, the takeaways that you can get from from that. So so definitely, if you missed them because I didn't post on Facebook or anything, then uh, I might do that later. But uh, if, you, if you missed it, they're already out. Go and check the Dead Triathlon Show feed. And it's their episodes 128 and 29. Go and check those out. And uh, if you're new to the show, go and check through all of the archives. There's so many great episodes that you may not have listened to. And subscribe so that you get all the episodes coming out in the future. But do go and check those archives and uh, see what uh, you may be interested in listening to that you haven't heard yet. So that's about it for this episode. Thank you so much to Precision Hydration for sponsoring this episode. Remember that Precision Hydration has a free online sweat test on their website that you can take to find out how much sodium you lose in your sweat. This will then give you a number of how much you should drink and with what electrolyte content in your drinks. So if you use Precision Hydration products, it is very easy. You can just apply their products as specified and that will be it. You're all set and good to go. But the point with this online sweat test is that in a few quick minutes for free, you can find out how you individually sweat and uh, how what your sweat sodium content is like. And when most sports drinks and gels, they assume a certain sodium content and sweat loss and uh, do a one-size-fits-all strategy for adding sodium to their products, this doesn't really work because the individual variance is so, so big. So if you want to be detailed about things like uh, David was and do things right and get the most out of your time invested in training when you come and show up at race day, then you need to find out your sweat rate and you can do that on precisionhydration.com using the free online sweat test, which I also linked to in the episode description. Of course, if you buy any of their products, use the discount code THATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, at checkout, and you'll get your first box for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.